this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Dr. Carissa Niehoff. Dr. Niehoff, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Pete. It's great to be connected with Connecticut again. I hope that you are doing well and the audience is doing well, family and friends, and I am. looking forward to Connecticut weather. You as well, you as well. So Dr. Niehoff, tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, I grew up in, in New England and um, was I was one of those kids that just loved participating in school and activities and things and always wanted to be a teacher and a coach, which I was able to do. I taught Latin and phys ed and health and coached multiple sports. Um, I played division one field hockey in college okay. and stayed connected with the national level through the U United States Olympic Committee. And then I, I caught the leadership bug. So I did all of my advanced coursework in Connecticut as I was teaching and coaching and got my doctorate at UConn. And uh, after being a principal at Lewis Mills High School in Burlington, was the executive director of the Connecticut Association of Schools for eight years. Okay. And then in August of 2018, I was absolutely blessed to be given the opportunity to be the national executive director of the National Federation of State High School Associations. So I've been uh, just, again, super blessed along the way to meet the right people with the right opportunities and uh, find myself every day pinching myself that I'm able to do this work and serve kids. Now, what exactly do you guys do at the organization? Right. So in every state, there's an association like the CIAC right. that governs interscholastic athletics. Right. In half of our states, there are, that association also oversees performing arts. In Connecticut, the Connecticut Association of Schools is also the principal's association. So uh, the Connecticut Association of Schools is everything. Pre-K through 12 principles, athletics, activities, and, and it was a, it's a very special organization. So each of those state associations belongs to the National Federation of State High School Associations, which is us, okay. the NFHS. We are based in Indianapolis. Our office is connected to the NCAA office. Ah. Um, so we do the national advocacy work and uh, educational resource work and write rules for sports and also do a lot of professional development for not only athletics, but speech, debate, music, and theater on the national level for high schools. Wow, you guys are a very busy organization. It's busy. It, 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 it is, it is. Now, as far as busyness of the school side of things, especially in the middle of a pandemic, how does that affect what you guys do? Yeah, so um, unlike the, Nat the NCAA, which is an association by design, the National Federation, being a federation by design, means that each state association can develop its own bylaws and regulations, which in, through the COVID pandemic is good. Right. We have a National Sports Medicine Advisory Committee that published a guidance document the first one back in May of 2020, mm -hmm. and then subsequent documents along the way. We don't mandate that every state does the same thing, um, which is probably good. It, it, it is allowed for a mosaic to develop about return to activity. But what's most important is that every state association is encouraged to work closely with the national, the state health agencies, 
state education agencies, and then on the local level, looking at your own communities, boards of education, your readiness, your resources, and then use our guidance to kind of say, how can we plug this in? So what we saw over the last calendar year, Pete, was different pace in terms of return, um, different decisions made at a governor's level and a state legislative level. Um, and overall, no matter what the decision was, the story was success. Uh, we saw that as people were ready going back to activity, school-based education activities, sports, speech, debate, music theater are not proving to be spreader events. And that's a real credit to our schools. So it's interesting to see what's happened across the 51 associations. Um, but the, all in all, the, the story has been one of success. Now, I understand you and I have a mutual friend in Glenn Longarini. Yes. Yes, Glenn is fantastic. Uh, Glenn stepped into the role of executive director of Connecticut Association of Schools when I left. Um, and both being busy people with places to go, we didn't have a lot of time together in transition, but I had 100% confidence in him that he could step in and, and pick things up. And we've stayed in touch um, throughout his transition and even now uh, when issues come up just to share stories about background and um, you know what's going on at the national level that might shape decisions at the state level. But he's doing a great job. He picked up a lot Absolutely. as a principal's organization as well as athletics and student activities. So it's not an easy task. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Now, Dr. Neoff, tell us a little bit about how things are going with the co with the pandemic and the sport, basically sports. Yeah, so um, every every state association now, with the exception of Washington, D.C., okay. which will start sports on April 1st, is engaged. Uh, we had probably 35 state associations that kept a more normal kind of traditional schedule as they went back to activity. And that was across all sports, from football in the fall to indoor volleyball, soccer, field hockey, then moved into a winter season with wrestling, basketball, um, and now going into the spring season. So a great majority of our state associations tried to keep a more normal kind of schedule um, that was planned with some modifications. Um, now being in the spring months, again, we're seeing all but DC that's back to some form of activity. And what we're hearing is that precautions have been in place. Kids just want to play. Right. Families want to play. Coaches want to coach. Right. So if it means wearing a mask, if it means social distancing, if it means modifying some playing administrative rules, um, fewer fans in the stands, no concessions. Right. Uh, if all of that is in place, kids want to play. Absolutely. Our schools, our state associations have done an amazing job incorporating some of those risk mitigation strategies and we're back to activity and we're seeing that again it's well over 90 percent of games that were scheduled are played and we're seeing tremendous success stories and a lot of gratitude on the part of our kids and families 
Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about the health aspect of things, both mentally and for basically getting out to play sports. Yeah. So one of the things we knew a year ago in March of 2020, when things started to get canceled, we were very concerned about the mental and emotional wellness of our students. Sure. And I say our students, meaning beyond athletes, beyond the co-curricular second half of the school day, we mean the entire school-based program. We were worried that without engagement in learning, without connection to teachers and coaches, without connection to friends and activity, that our kids would really be impacted mentally and emotionally. And that in fact proved to be true. What we've seen in documented research, probably the, the, the most prominent research study was out of the University of Wisconsin, who looked at kids in May and then again in October. And what we learned is that when kids are not engaged in the activities that they, that they love, that they want, that support their growth and development in mm -hmm. so many ways, they self-report higher incidences of symptoms of depression, symptoms of anxiety, a lower quality of life, a lower engagement in physical activity, and we see, we've heard from state associations across the country, academically, there's less of a desire to persevere through academic challenges and things, and a general self-reported lack of just a feeling of meaningfulness in their academic work. So we were suspicious that this would happen. And in fact, the research is now proving that to be the case. So what we have done throughout the last calendar year is encourage states and schools to pay attention to the broader perspective of the issue of engagement or not. And it, it's not just about, are they playing sports again? Are they back in classrooms again? But if all of those situations are on the table, what else are we risking here from a, a growth and development perspective? So we've tried to keep a broader perspective on the things that our kids are going through and our families are going through. Um, so we've learned a lot in this calendar year about the importance of being in school, being engaged in activities and what that means for our kids. Absolutely. And I'm sure during the pandemic, learning and remote learning has changed, has changed the world as well. Absolutely. Um, when kids have access immediately to resources, right. internet capability, devices, and, the, and those capabilities, perhaps supportive families at home, um, and they're sort of self-motivated, already engaged in self-responsibility, those kids have tended to do a little bit better, no surprise. In other areas where there's a lack of access to internet capacity, lack of access to devices, where kids are, are more self-sufficient with other challenges in the home or in their own motivation, those kids have tended to struggle a little bit. So we've talked for many years about the learning gap, the achievement gap, and we've tied that to socioeconomic gaps. Um, and all of that has played out from in the weeds on a day-to-day -day basis with achievement 
to standardized test scores. And the big story that underlies who the kids are and how they score in standardized testing. The pandemic and the need to send kids home has exacerbated those gaps. And across the country, what we're hearing is that in areas where kids don't have the resources and the support, learning has struggled. In areas where kids have had automatic access to internet uh, connection, to device and support management, to teachers that have the resources they have needed to be online and learning, they have tended to do better. And I don't think that would surprise anyone. So I think what we will see uh, from an academic perspective, from a co-curricular perspective, is that just going back to school in the fall and picking up sports and putting on cleats again in the fall, that does not end the effect. The, The response and the recovery from the pandemic disconnect is going to take years. Um, and it doesn't mean expensive years. No. It just means attentive years. We have to be paying attention to each of our kids as they return and not just say, okay, we're back, we're rolling, but we have to really be attentive to how the kids are doing. Right. And it's going to take a while to get kids back on track. Absolutely. Dr. Niehoff, would you mind sticking around for another segment? Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back. Honorary Forest Ranger Betty White here, lending a hand to my dear friend Smokey Bear. Because for years, he's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But there's a lot more to say. Like, if you park your car on tall, dry grass, the hot exhaust pipe can start a wildfire. So keep the animals safe, especially the cute shirtless one. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti, sitting here with Dr. Carissa Niehoff, who's the executive director of the NFHS. Dr. Niehoff, welcome back. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Dr. Niehoff, I was wondering if we can maybe open up this segment talking about the aspect of as far as when you're a parent or a spectator and high school sports where they're not allowing spectators or parents into watch the game or watch your student play. Yeah, so obviously that's that's a, a pure moment of empathy. Right. Um, because our kids have only one year in each of their grades, one freshman, sophomore, junior year. And for the great majority of high school kids nationwide, you know, only one to three percent will go on to play in college. And that's one through division one through three. Exactly. So for most of our parents, high school athletics might be the last level that they play at. And you want to take in as many of those moments as you can. Absolutely. I think what's been amazing about our kids and our families is that they've been resilient. Um, they all just want to get back to activity 
And if it means they have to watch from home mm -hmm. through live streaming, they will do that. Uh, if it means going back to the gym and putting a mask on, they will do that. If it means they may not have the concession options of choice that they used to, they will do that. Um, but certainly we, we recognize that a student athlete's uh, experience uh, is finite and uh, it, you can't get it back. So we have been incredibly empathetic for parents. We've been incredibly impressed by their supportive cooperation to be in limited stands, limited capacity. And we've been really excited that our NFHS network has been able to stream events live okay. and that it's been an option for families to, to tune in, to see their kids play. Um, but we certainly realize that for parents, it's been an, an amazing challenge. Um, and, and we hope that if there were recruiting issues in place that we found creative ways to get kids in front of coaches at the collegiate level um, and hopefully the pathway is not interrupted right. if they choose to continue. Now tell us a little bit about the NS NFHS network and people, if people want to watch from home. Yeah, so we are in our eighth year of existence. So the NFHS partnered eight years ago with Play On Sports and Play On was a, a company that was committed to internet streaming of high school athletic events. Okay. We thought it would be fantastic if we could have a relationship with a streaming provider that was specific to high school athletic events, um, wherever you have a camera, graduations, uh, meetings, wherever you put broadcast coverage. And uh, so we started the network eight years ago uh, you can go to nfhsnetwork.org and for $10.99 a month, much like Netflix, you can have a subscription to uh, look at any live stream events as well as access the archives of events for the past eight years from any state association around the country. So if you're interested in Connecticut athletics, there it is. If you're interested in bass fishing in another state, Go for it, it's there as well, rodeo, um, all sorts of things that happen nationwide. Uh, but the network has been uh, tremendously helpful in this past calendar year because it's a way to access events online with, without leaving your home. And for $10.99 for a month, um, an affordable option for people to take advantage of that network opportunity. Absolutely. Now you guys are, like you said in the first segment, you guys are affiliated with the NCAA. And actually, I have to let you know, you are one, you are one of the first guests that I've had virtually that is in another time zone. That's right. So Indiana, <laughs> we have a couple of choices for time zones and right. Indianapolis has chosen to stay in the Eastern time zone. Oh, okay. Um, so um, yes, we are. Our building is attached to the NCAA building. Okay. Um, we, I am. When we were all there in staff, I was across the ramp frequently to meet with their various division coordinators and leadership, um, their eligibility uh, leadership, and Mark Emmert himself, as we go through some, you know, shared interests, name, image, and likeness issues, eligibility issues, and how a transition for a high school student athlete would be hopefully supportive and seamless if they move into the collegiate ranks. So 
Um, they do not dictate what we do, and we certainly um, appreciate that. Um, but we absolutely have a good working relationship and want to make sure, again, that uh, a high school student, whether they approach a scholarship opportunity, a recruitment opportunity, or a walk-on opportunity, the understanding is there from the moment they enter their freshman year in high school. Here are the things that they might need to do. Sure. Um, so we have a great relationship with them. Uh, and uh, it's a great city to be in for amateur sports. Is it a good, good city for like, I'm sure it's a great city for college sports as well. Oh, right now it's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're in an amazingly energetic bubble. So uh, in Indianapolis, when the Pan Am Games came to Indy years ago, mm -hmm. Indianapolis had the nickname India No Place okay. um, because there really wasn't a lot going on. So the NCAA, the Pan Am Games came in and cit corporate citizenship, governmental leadership said, we want to make Indianapolis the capital of the world for amateur sports. Right. So they brought the Pan Am games in. They, the NCAA came in 1999, 2000, and then the National Federation came at the same time. So okay. national governing bodies brought themselves to Indy. So it's a tremendous city to be in for sport. Absolutely. Especially now, because I think there's a, maybe a small basketball tournament going on. Yeah, there's a little bit happening. Yep. Um, so my TV screen at home is on 24-7 uh, watching basketball right now. But um, yeah, so we have fans downtown. We have the venues in bubbles. The hotels are bubbled. Uh, coaches and players. Uh, it's amazing the level of detail that the NCAA has gone uh, to, to make sure the kids are safe, that they're tested multiple times a day. Uh, it's fantastic to watch police escorts, bring the kids and their buses into the city, um, and just to watch a great basketball that's taking place. So we're thrilled to host and just so happy that, that the kids and their families are playing. Absolutely, absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, are they allowing fans and spectators at the games or is everything close? Oh, the no, there they're are fans. They're in the okay. restaurants. They're, they're wearing their masks. They're going out to eat. They're... Even if they don't have tickets, they're enjoying the environment in Indianapolis in a safe way. It's about 25% capacity. So depending okay. on the size of the arena, right. Hinkle, Hinkle Gymnasium, historic at Butler's a little smaller yep. than Banker's Life where the Pacers and the Fever play, uh, Lucas Oil where the Colts play, uh, UND down in Bloomfield, so uh, Bloomington. So we've got all sorts of different sizes of arenas, but the, the fans are here and they're doing a great job to stay safe and stay supportive and the energy is phenomenal. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure and I'm sure as far as how are high how are school athletics going out there as far as what you guys are seeing out in Indy? Yeah, so Indiana's kind of been open throughout the pandemic. So um, back in March of 2020, um, there were brief kind of shutdowns and pauses out here. But the Indiana State Association quickly gathered their resources and said, you know, we want to do our best to get risk mitigation strategies in place and we want to play. So Indiana was one of the states that tried to stay on schedule sports in their originally scheduled seasons. Right. And I'll tell you, there have been a couple of schools that had to go on brief pauses for quarantining back 
in the fall season, winter season, but for the most part, well over 90% of the Indiana high school games that were scheduled have been played. So uh, we're still knocking on wood okay. till we get to graduation, but uh, we are excited that our, our state was open. Um, but I have to say full, full respect for every state's individual decision. Every state governor, every state health agency um, did what they knew was best. Demographics are different nationwide and um, the NFHS stands in full support of every single state association and their decision-making process. We know that some states were slower than others right. and absolutely 100% legitimate reasons why it had to be that way. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep, we're just glad they're getting back. Absolutely. We've got a little bit more time left, but I wanted to ask as far as what do you think the fall semester is going to look like? Are they going to be back in school? Are they going to be learning remotely? What do you think? I'm, I'm going to show you two hands, fingers crossed. Okay. My belief in, in full hopefulness is that kids will go back to school. Kids will go back to activity. We will have schedules. We will have clubs. We will have teams. We will have classes. Um, and we, we may have a few different kinds of new normals right. in terms of pre-participation physicals, mm -hmm. uh, school-based physicals. We will definitely have responsive action plans that we have all lived um, when it comes to uh, risk mitigation and looking at uh, virus strategies. Right. But I think we will, and especially in Connecticut, where there are tremendous people in our schools and, and certainly at CAS, CIAC, um, Connecticut is prepared and Connecticut is attentive. And I think Connecticut kids will get back to school and back to activity and everybody will be able to celebrate that we got through this, this pandemic with a lot of learning, uh, a lot of new preparation and, and risk mitigation knowledge. And I think we're just gonna be glad to play. Dr. Kristen Ehoff from NFHS, thanks for some time, and hopefully we'll see you again soon. Absolutely, Pete, anytime. Take care of everybody in Connecticut. Love you all. Have a good night. On behalf of Dr. Kristen Ehoff, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks, good night, and we'll see you next time.